Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest streaming and theatrical releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte. And today we have five movies for you. Black Widow, Zola, Luca, Summer of Soul, and Mary J. Blige's My Life. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Sad, but true. Sad, mm-hmm. but true. With, Jason, yeah, yeah. what's going on with you? Oh, well, gosh. Uh, thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, I feel like we've reached the point in the, you know, pandemic transition slash reopening process here in the States, at least, where it's now starting to feel like for those of us who have not yet had to go back to our offices in any regular capacity, it's now starting to feel like um, it's not summer vacation exactly, but you know now you're aware of a ticking clock during which like it kind of changes the perspective you have on working from home all the time. Uh, when you realize that in the near future uh, you will have to start going back to an office again. And it just so happens to be timed for a lot of folks to be happening in September, which is usually when you go back to school. Uh, So I guess I'm just, you know, I'm just going to try to embrace the remainder of summer in that spirit. Uh, My husband is actually going back to his office for the first time tomorrow. Uh, So no summer vacation for that sucker. Uh, But uh, (laughs) I'm just going to try to lean into it as much as I can for myself. Uh, But but yeah, I've been going out to see uh, more movies in theaters. Um, of the five reviewing this episode, I saw two in theaters. Uh, so you know, it's 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 happening. I I went back to San Francisco recently uh, for uh, for Scott's birthday, and I did a lot of firsts for the aftertimes. I saw my first concert, Tao and the Get Down Stay Down at the Chapel. I saw my first indoor drag show at Oasis, our former home away from home. So I don't know. I feel like I'm really just getting out there and having these experiences again. And, um, you know, does it every now and then sneak up on me and wallop me so that I'm exhausted and just want to hide inside all day? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's it's happened here or there. Pretty much at the end of every time we go out, I like come home and I just lie down and I just like get very still and I just stare for a long time. It's <laughs> a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, so going back in, in, to your quickly, um, mm-hmm. your school analogy. Um, were you the kind of kid that was like, "Oh my God, I can't wait till school starts again," or were you? Was it a uh, looming dread? Oh, looming dread, a hundred percent looming dread. No, I was never. Let me let me be clear about something. I am never ever excited to do work. <laughs> There is no part of me that is ever excited to do anything that could be considered work. And going to school is work. Uh, So 100% not at all looking forward to going back. Um, I loved summer vacations very much. I love just just the shapelessness of it all. (laughs) Uh, The lack of obligation or commitment. Uh, I mean, it was just the dream. And, you know, and then back east of growing up where we're from, you know, like you get summer hard. <laughs> summer is a very <laughs> real, intense, defined season. Uh, so, yeah. No. Uh, what about what about you? What were you like? 
Um, I was always looking forward to going back to school. Like my Were favorite you? part was like the August time when you could start buying fresh school supplies. Oh. New notebooks yeah. and new pens. Oh my god. <laughs> what would a dream. New, would you buy new clothes for the new school year? Uh, so I went to Catholic school, so oh. uh, it, we wore uniforms, but you know, new uh, new socks we had to show <laughs> off your personality. You'd really kind of nail it in the sock shoe department. Uh, <laughs> and what was your so what was your approach with your socks and shoes? Um, let me think. So the shoes were pretty um pretty standard, like a bass, you know. Um, mm-hmm. when I was in high school, it was no longer uh, required to wear saddle shoes, so. I wasn't quite in the Doc Barton crowd, obviously, um, but mm. kind of a basic bass. And then, uh, <laughs> you know me, basic bass. And uh, <laughs> Also the name of your new fishing show. <laughs> um, I don't know. Not, not, I, didn't, I didn't show my personality through my, shoe, my socks. People did, um, you know, but no. Yeah, no, I know. I, I didn't quite see that for you. See <laughs> not going to lie. Not going to lie here. Bright prints uh, on your socks. No, it's all about the not, new you know. trapper keeper. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that that and that as you should be. I mean that's really where the personality is meant to shine is the trapper keeper. Mm-hmm. So no, that tracks. That tracks. Um, <laughs> I I miss I miss all these things very much. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much uh, what's up with me, Rekka. What is up with you? Um, what is up with me? Uh, going out is very tiring. Um. It's uh, very, very stimulating to, to be around people. Um, and but we were able to we went out to eat uh, at, at uh, one of our favorite restaurants um, here in Palm Springs, uh, which is a restaurant that's in the Ace Hotel. And um, I thought we were going out for a date night. And then uh, my, my my girlfriend, my partner, Soul, surprised me. And uh, now we're engaged. So that's what? Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Did you not know? You I thought you knew. I'm trying to remember if I knew or not. <laughs> I did I did post it on, on Instagram. It's always a weird thing, especially oh. now when you can't only talk to certain people and certain you don't know, run into people all the time. Uh, and it's like it's weird to bring up news about yourself unasked, no, but then people don't know to ask. So it's a weird thing. So I did yeah. I posted on Instagram as a way to like Make sure, but it, it, that was also weird because I don't really post on Instagram very much. But, right. um, and it, you know, I was like thinking about how how easy it was, um, you know, to say yes and how easy it was. Um, although she did a ton of planning because I am quite the snoop. Um, uh, and <laughs> I, to be able to, to sort of get this under my nose, you know, when nobody leaves the house and I usually know exactly what packages are coming in. Um, was difficult. <laughs> she managed to do it, but I think, wow. um, uh, I forgot I was going with this, but you had left a comment. I think when I posted on Instagram, um, what's funny which now is, is when I think about it is tracks like you didn't actually un- understand the post. <laughs> yep. Nope. That is, that is exactly what happened. Um, oh, right. Cause I was thinking about how easy, it, how easy it was. And, um, and then I was like, wow, that's great. Like, I, this is one of those situations that I'm completely taking for granted because of, like, so many people who have right. worked so hard and sacrificed their lives so that I could go to a restaurant where, you know, you're able to make special arrangements and, and have this, like, public setting and say yes, you know, to to being married to a woman and we're women who own houses, like a house. Like, all of the things of, like, wow, you know, my mom couldn't have her own bank account when she was, you know, 
in her early 20s. Like the all of that kind of came and I and that's what I posted about. And I guess you didn't understand it. <laughs> this is this is very embarrassing uh, <laughs> because I clearly didn't. I clearly TLDR the post. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I like I looked at it. I saw that everybody was liking and commenting and I assumed it was because like, oh, yeah, like because you never post. And, you know, and here you were posting and you were posting your face and soul's face. And I was like, oh, yeah, everyone loves that when people do that. And <laughs> so you're an algorithm. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I ingested it as an algorithm. Um, I did a quick, quick face ID scan um, <laughs> and I looked for keywords in the post and I, and I and I algorithmically wrote a response based on those keywords. <laughs> And I did not realize it was an engagement announcement. <laughs> oh my god! I was like, I was like, just now, I was like, oh my god, are you telling me this live on the show? This is how you're telling me? Oh my god! And then I saw that Soul posted too, and I was like, yeah, look, all the two of them had a date night. They want to tell the world. That's cute. I it, it clearly was not paying attention, um, <laughs> and that is on me, Rebecca. I'm so happy for you. Oh, now is, so I'm reading your comment. Yes, uh, okay, it's about me. This is about <laughs> you. Uh, okay, let me. Um, for the uh, for the audience, I'm going to read what I wrote, and I'm going to read what Jason wrote. This is great. <clears throat> I wrote, as Pride Month comes to a close, I've been thinking about just how much I take for granted every day. Without the sacrifice and perseverance of so many, I wouldn't have a shadow of the life I have today. Today and every day, I need to remember to be grateful for being able to make a life of my own design where I want to go, how I choose to look, and to whom I get to say yes to. And Jason wrote, I see you left out with whom I get to host a podcast, but I guess I'll wait for next Pride. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, in my defense, if someone were to only read the first sentence and then leave a comment, (laughs) then I think that my comment would land pretty well. Also, there are established ways of announcing engagements on Instagram. It's a picture of a ring and a captain that says, like, I said yes. So mm-hmm. this is on you for doing too much obfuscating. <laughs> for being too uh, too thoughtful. Too thoughtful about uh, it. Yes, for doing for being too thoughtful, for uh, putting, you know, too much careful, uh, beautifully written context around a major life moment. <laughs> This isn't Twitter. This is about photos. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I was just like, I thought it was a pride post because I, I remember I was seeing a lot of like emotional pride posts around that time. And I never do emotional pride posts. Um, and then I saw that and I was like, oh, it's just another emotional pride post. Boy, like Rebecca is in her feelings. And, you know, <laughs> and, you know, like every now and then she really just, you know, gets up on that soapbox and goes to town. And uh, <laughs> so I did not realize what had happened. <laughs> This is incredibly, incredibly embarrassing. So, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, please. I look forward to you telling Soul what happened. Um, <laughs> so she can understand why I probably just, I think I only liked her post. I need to leave a comment. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you two are loving well, your Well, hers is in you... Spanish, I think. So I'm sure it you is. didn't Google Translate that. I did not. I did not. <laughs> uh, so that's true. So I really feel like I'm being set up to fail by both of you. I mean, that is the point of our relationship. <laughs> I know. I know it's what's connected you from day one. So. <laughs> and, you know, on our on our shared uh, cruise a few summers ago, you two were just thriving, just mm-hmm. watching me fail left and right. So, 
But wow, well, that's that's incredible. And everyone feel free to go to Rebecca's Instagram and see this exact exchange um, <laughs> because we are not kidding. This is exactly what happened. Wow, 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 wow. This is So incredible. that's what's up with me. Um, the other thing is that I did see one of these movies in the theater. Um, I saw, we saw Zola in the theater because we got to see it at the noon on a Tuesday, which is <laughs> the only time I'm going to see movies now. <laughs> and there was one other person in there, uh, a much older gentleman also wearing a mask, and it was great. He was very far away, um, and I told, got to be completely chill during the whole thing. Oh, well, so so walk me through just, like, going to the theater and, like, walking in. Like, did you get your popcorn? Like, like what was your walking oh, through right. the emotional beats of, of, of going back to the theater for the first time? So we went to this um, theater, like, a, I think it's an AMC in um, in Rancho Mirage here in the Palm Springs area. Um, you know, it was noon on a Tuesday, and I think this past week it's been about, like, 115, 120. So it was, we saw a murder of crows in the parking lot, all beaks open, because that's how they sweat. Oh, no. Oh, so no. it was ominous. You know, it, it looked like a very dystopian, you know, gigantic theater as part of like a sprawling mall complex with nobody in the parking lot. Murder. Maybe is it could have been two murders. It was like two groups of big, big groups of crows. And we go in, we're, you know, we're so tiny in comparison. We're just dwarfed by this gigantic building and these gigantic crows um, who could have easily together picked up my car and left with it. But we, we walk in. Um, you have a tiny car. You did it with any car. We're we're also very very tiny people. Yes. Um, and we walk in and and the the theater um, attendant was very nice. The the person behind the concessions desk and we bought uh you know my favorite which is the Coca Cola icy, and the popcorn. And when the bill came, I was just uh, Soul had brought this up how, how much it is to adjust to the fact that it was like. I don't know, twelve dollars or seventeen dollars or something like that, and we're just like, oh, we've been eating like unlimited popcorn (laughs) for a year and a half uh, (laughs) for pennies. This is crazy. Um, And then the theater attendant was like, we're having air conditioning issues in that theater, so if it's uncomfortable, (gasps) like, please let us know. We'll give you a refund, or you can get another ticket. But it ended up being fine. I. I also like I had brought like a sweatshirt because I remember theaters being too cold, right? Especially in the in the summer. And I was like, oh my god, I now have to like find a sweater. So I brought this. I was kind of happy that it wasn't like theater freezing, especially yeah. with it only being the the three of us um, <laughs> in the in the thing. But otherwise, right. you, it was you sold an old pervert. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was Zola, so it was a little uncomfortable. <laughs> Yeah, to have an older gentleman by himself seeing Zola at noon on a Tuesday. I mean, he must have been like, I'm here for virtuous reasons. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So are we just going to have like a unspoken agreement that it's a masks on pants off here? Or are we going (laughs) to, how are we going to do this at noon on a Tuesday? Oh my God. Did I ever tell you the story about when I saw Ituma Matambian at the Cedar Lee uh, in like 2002 or whatever year that came out? No. And I saw, and I was there with a friend in the back row knowing it was going to be as extremely explicit as it is. And so we're sitting there, the whole theater is empty. And then I see someone walk in, I look over and it is a nun. And uh, and the nun is, you know, wearing, I think, you know, obviously, of course, not, not a full habit, but enough of a nun outfit that she was identifiable as a nun. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like walked in and kind of circled the theater and then saw us and then walked over and sat down right next to me. 
What? And began to make like friendly nun small talk. <laughs> and it was just like, oh, so, you know, like, what do you. And, and I think I think I asked her, I was like, do you know much about this movie? <laughs> and her response was, well, it's a Cedar Lee movie, isn't it? Well, and it does speak volumes. It, it does. For for listeners not familiar, the Cedar Lee is sort of the the art house theater of the Cleveland area. Um, and so uh, <laughs> so I was kind of and I couldn't be like, lady, there's fucking in this movie. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I so I was just kind of like, yeah, I guess, but I couldn't be like, listen, it's not Merchant Ivory if that's what you're expecting. <laughs> and that, you know, long time closeted gay like. <laughs> Like some not, people here. <laughs> exactly. You're like, listen, <laughs> let me tell you from my point of view. Um, and if you remember the very first scene in that movie, it hits it without even a credit sequence is like a graphic sex scene of Diego Luna's character rolling around naked with a woman having sex. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so as soon as that started, she kind of flinched. And then we all just sat there watching the movie in complete silence from beginning to end. And then when the credits rolled, she merely stood up and walked away. Wow. No acknowledgement, no well goodbye. Uh, it was the most awkward movie going experience of my entire life. So wow. she didn't so at least old. No, <laughs> no, no. Uh, she, she sat through the whole thing. Uh, so imagine if in Zola, that gentleman had plopped down next to you. Uh, that would have been weird, okay. but he didn't. So you had a better time watching it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad. Uh, you broke the seal. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, do you see yourself starting to do this regularly now that you've now that you've faced your fears? I mean, I think it's still going to be noon on a Tuesday. Um, yeah. it's very pleasant. It's very quiet. Um, I did. I I. I wanted to. I think we'll see Black Widow sometime soon, some upcoming Tuesday. Um, yeah. I I want to work towards a point where we can watch like one of the Marvel movies, maybe in LA. Like, I don't know if that's a thing. Can you ever? How do you get to to be like in the viewing of the like official first viewing? I need to do some research on that. You know, official first. You mean just like when it comes out on a Thursday or what? Yeah, and like I don't know. You ever go to the theaters where like the actors are there? Oh, I see. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think that is going to be probably more and more of a thing in L.A. as things reopen. I did see that, I, you know, I normally would have watched Zola. We, we watched most everything at the Alamo Draft House downtown. Um, but Zola was just really sold out and Alamo is still doing buffer seating. So not selling the full capacity. Um, but I did see that I think yesterday at both of their evening screenings, uh, Janice Cabravo was there doing a QA. and mm-hmm. a um, So, but yeah. And then like when we, I remember we saw Captain Marvel, uh, the Friday night of opening weekend in LA at the Arclight uh, Cinema Dome or Cinerama or RIP, um, the directors were there. So, mm. but yes. So certainly something to start looking out for um, as more Marvel movies come out. Um, but, oh, one one last thing uh, I want to tell you from the San Francisco trip was um, we went and saw Heclina, drag royalty of San Francisco, who was since semi-retired to Palm Springs. We saw mm-hmm. her performing while she was in town as well. And I was chatting with her after the performance, and I mentioned that you had also moved to Palm Springs. And I was like, oh, well, you know, technically Cathedral City. And Heclina was like, 
I'm also in Cathedral City, and we don't say Cathedral City, okay? It's <laughs> it's Palm Springs is what it is. That's where I live. That's where she lives. We're in Palm Springs. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> I wonder if we're neighbors. <laughs> it's very possible. Uh, so if you ever hear uh, a bunch of rowdy old queens nearby, it's more than likely Hecalina's house. Mm, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you at the Stater Bros uh, <laughs> grocery store. Fight over a head of lettuce at the Vons. Love it. Um, shall we? To the movies? Let's do, let's do it. Um, movie number one this week is Black Widow. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, confronts the darker parts of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy with ties to her past arises. Pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships left in her wake long before she became an Avenger. Speaking of Ohio summers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The opening. That was shocking. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a line in this movie where she says, I want to go back to Ohio. <laughs> I never thought would be spoken by a Marvel character. No, no, I know. It, and it this movie's be... not even directed by the Russo brothers who are from Ohio. That's very true. It's very true. It's directed by an Australian woman. Uh, so really couldn't couldn't cast a, a net further away from Ohio than that. Uh, but uh, and it made me think of our of, of our friend Heidi, who just came back from two weeks back in Ohio because she right. what wanted to go back to Ohio. So it happens. And now I mean, you it's, hear it's, it's from normies thing. all the time, but just not <laughs> superheroes with child superheroes. But yeah, no, it's very true. It's very true. So right off the bat, you must have felt like, boy, oh, boy, this movie is for me. Uh, <laughs> this is everything you could have asked for. Uh, for our first our first MCU motion picture since, and we were trying to identify this before we started, it was, we want to say August 2019 that the Spider-Man movie came out, which was the last one. Uh, so, and this was, of course, supposed to come out, Black Widow was supposed to come out a year ago. So uh, we have all been waiting for a long time, and some have been waiting with more anticipation than others, and by that I mean Rebecca. <laughs> I actually haven't. I wasn't. Um, no. Because I, and we went back and watched this again yesterday. The way the trailer was cut, um, I was afraid. I was afraid that this wasn't going to be that great. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that we sort of identified a part of the trailer that that made us think that, and and how it actually happened in the movie was a lot different. And and we'll get to that I think in a little bit. But I was kind of afraid because I I didn't think this would be as good as it ended up being. Okay. Okay. So you were pleasantly surprised then. Yes. Yeah. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, and we should, you know, contextualize. Right. Yeah. For, for the listeners, you've all, you've all borne witness. Our longtime listeners <laughs> have, have borne witness to the remarkable trajectory and transformation of Rebecca Olarte from uh, superhero neophyte uh, Luddite to major and complete and committed MCU head. I have a stuffed baby group that has a magnet in his butt and then you put the ma- the other part of the magnet under your shirt and then you walk around Disneyland or home with a baby Groot on your shoulder. Oh. That's where I'm at. Oh my gosh. Does, is teacup okay with that? I feel like there'd be some sort of rivalry there between teacup <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a baby Groot in your shoulder. Uh, she's not happy about it. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. like it. Yeah. Um, this, 
uh, this movie was amazing. So yeah, I guess we can start with the the Ohio um, of it. The movie opens up where you see um, young Black Widow, young Natasha Romanoff, as what maybe eleven, if I had to guess, twelve. Yeah, I think yeah, probably yeah, a cultish twelve. <laughs> playing uh, <laughs> playing with her sister um, in big suburban Ohio, um, and. Yeah, it really that really was a flashback. It was what like 1995 maybe. 95, yeah. Um, yeah, and like their house, it it's like reinforced exactly what I've been trying to style or thinking of our house as. Like, clearly there's a there's a rumpus room that uh, blueprint that we have been trying to follow for a minute. And, uh, <laughs> The movie quickly turns from uh, idyllic suburban household to spy espionage thriller as um, her father comes home, who's played by David Harbour. Uh, and they're all kind of taken up in a rush to leave. Um, the the wife, the mother, played by Rachel Weiss, and, and the two girls are taken up and it and it cuts into like the first big action sequence. Very the American style. Yes. And you have deep undercover Russian operatives posing as a family in Midwestern United States. Yes, I was also getting Americans vibes. And uh, in that first and also I think I had lost track of the fact that Rachel Weisz was in this movie as well. So I can only imagine the one two punch of you seeing Ohio 1995 and then suddenly there's Rachel Weisz (laughs) digitally de-aged explaining lightning bugs. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you're and you're still with us right now, which is impressive. Forming words uh, about it. I've seen it twice, <laughs> <laughs> which I oh, recommend wow. actually. And I recommend it, watching it twice for the rental because it's like so you watched it at home, you didn't see it in theaters, so mm-hmm. you did like the Disney premiere access, which is what like thirty bucks or whatever. Yes. Do you get like twenty four hour access? How does that work? I think you get to keep it as long as you have your Disney Plus subscription. Oh really? I'm pretty sure. Oh wow! Okay, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the case. So, at least you're hoping so. Reason. At least I'm hoping so because uh, <laughs> I do want to watch it again. Um, <laughs> I do recommend watching it twice. I think that you know there there are a lot of you know we have the kind of four characters: um, the Rachel Vice is the mother, uh, the father, and then obviously you know most of of uh, Natasha's. Nat's backstory coming up to this point, and then you have Yelena. So you have these different kind of motivations and, um, you know, secret spy stuff uh, and some twists. So I think the first time I watched it, I left with some questions about, you know, I wasn't clear about the motivations of some characters to do the things that they did. Um, but then when you watch it the second time and you can pay attention to more of the pieces of dialogue. So, um, for instance, when they're leaving here at the beginning in this Ohio house to, to leave, they're, they're running from shield who have identified them and they, um, they have like the, you know, the secret tape, like her, the mother, um, Rachel Weiss's character says like, I don't want to go. And you could tell that she is very troubled in that, in that period. Um, and isn't, isn't excited about what's happening. Doesn't want to go back to Russia. And I think later on, when you see some of the decisions she makes, um, if you if you don't if you forget about that part or it's kind of just happens in passing, then it's it's harder to understand why why she ends up um, helping uh, Nat at the end. Uh, interesting, interesting. Even another element of Rachel Weisz's performance kind of just now clicked for me because I remember thinking in that opening scene 
that she was kind of overdoing it in her performance of, as like wife and mother. Um, mm. And and now it clicks that like, well, you know, that because she was performing a wife and mother, um, that was the character. You know, she was not actually uh, the mother of these girls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it was, you know, a Russian sleeper cell. So I was like, ah, Vice, I should never doubt you. Of course, you're making <laughs> perfect choices at every turn. Well, how, why would I think otherwise now? Um, and that first action scene is a hell of a fucking action scene. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. It, just in general, I feel like this movie was, even by Marvel standards, very action forward. Absolutely. And very, um, very visceral, very, I feel like it's one of the more violent films. I think Mm -hmm. that because the characters are less, you know, like gods and machines that the, the human, you know, fist fighting is just so intense and really, I don't know. It's like graphic without being bloody. I said, there's a, uh, a scene early on where uh, Nat gets kicked by Taskmaster like over this bridge, and I think we both screamed. We were both like, "What the fuck!" Yeah. It was just so. And I mean, I, th- I think another piece of this is that we have been watching all of the Disney Plus TV Marvel shows, uh, which have had fight scenes that have been pretty much a joke. Um, the Loki <laughs> fight scenes are kind of lame. I mean, the the Falcon and Winter Soldier uh, fight scenes were good. But WandaVision, you know, really didn't have any until the end. And that was very, like, you know, flying. Very you know, CG. Yeah. CG. Um, and, and Loki has been really, I think, one of the most disappointing things about the show have been the really weak, weak fight scenes. But this this was like, I can't imagine what it was like to see in the theater. It was so intense. There's um, the first scene where Yelena and Natasha meet each other is this mm. beautifully choreographed and again, so intense fight scene. They yes. it, it kind of culminates in them falling down this drain pipe and then crashing into another building. And it's just explosive the way their bodies <laughs> also a little funny how Natasha's body hits like seven things on the way down. <laughs> it's like <laughs> ragdoll physics of her just like hitting a bunch of air vents. Yes. I was definitely reminded of Atomic Blonde. Uh, oh yeah. By some of those scenes, especially since they're in in I think are they in Europe in that part? Yeah, they're in, in Budapest. Europe? Budapest or Budapest, mm-hmm. uh, as is debated in the film. Um, that's right, and it also reminded me. I always feel like the gold standard for sort of like a, a choreographed fight scene between two women is the opening scene of Kill Bill between Uma Thurman and Vivica A. Fox. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, well, it's the, the standard for any scene, honestly, not just between two women. Um, just like just the. The, the, that that scene will always just give me chills just thinking about it, just like the way that it is so visceral to use your word with like the way that it was just a little sound effects of like the knife being like whipped around and mm. and uh, it's just like whew, so fucking wham bam. But uh, I, but yeah. I read that the director made uh, when she like made a little treatment for Marvel, she had put together um, like s- some of the uh, fighting scenes that that she liked the most and fighting scenes with women. And I wonder if Kill Bill was in there because it is in the kitchen and they mm-hmm. do have that like kitchen cabinet play as well. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if that was a direct um, homage uh, to that. Yeah. And that would be, that would be awesome. And we should acknowledge the director. Her name is Kate Shortland. Um, and I remember, I know who she is from a movie she made a long time ago, her debut called Somersault, uh, which introduced Abby Cornish 
who didn't ultimately last super long, um, partially because she wrecked Reese Witherspoon's marriage um, to Ryan Phillippe. Reese Witherspoon, she broke up. She Ryan Phillippe cheated with her um, when they were when they were making the movie Stop Loss, um, and uh, and that was what led to the the divorce. Um, so, but the funny thing is, Abby Cornish actually looks a lot like Florence Pugh. So I feel like mm, Abby Cornish mm-hmm. could be watching this movie, being like, "Fuck, that's my role." Yeah, uh, like I could have been Yelena. Um, but uh, and speaking of which, Florence Pugh. Wow, 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 <sighs> wow, wow. I I I feel like we need to see her in a comedy. <laughs> her timing and delivery is so dry and so good in this movie. She she makes this movie. And I've, I've seen yeah. some reviews say that this movie is less about Black Widow and more as the setup for her character, Yelena Belova. Yep. And yep. she she steals it. She absolutely steals it. I think that to understand that is to understand these people from her life and the common experiences that they all have. Um, and that, you know, works as 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 a movie that is black widow but but this is so much about her mm-hmm. absolutely also i i do like how you keep calling her nat like she's an old friend uh, i mean that's but, what <laughs> i know i'll allow it it's cute to me that's what they call uh, <laughs> but but no it, it is i know i saw all the press before i saw the movie about how florence Pugh is is the standout and you know i was like oh man i'm probably gonna have this like oversold in my head for when i watch it but then watching it, like she just she just gets you on board right away. It's she's she in in to to your point about a comedy. I actually just added to my up next um, a movie she did a few years ago called Fighting with My Family. Okay. Um, that is it. It is it's sort of like an action comedy um, where she plays uh, like a, a like a boxer or an MMA fighter of some sort. Um, oh who, right. Yeah, and so and it's from what I gather, it's a comedy. Um, and then, of course, there's also the fact, you know, the biggest comedy of all, the fact that she is with Zach Braff. <laughs> um, oh, really? Yes. They've been together for a long time. And uh, oh. and she is defensive about it. <laughs> uh, I think she's, she's a lot of her social, always being like, you got to be kidding me. And she's just like, fuck off. It's my relationship. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, with with that, just that gravelly, smoky voice of hers, like she can just like kill any line reading. Um, and we've seen such versatility from her in such a short time, mm. um, you know, from, of course, Midsummer, which is a performance that, like, I'm more impressed by the longer I think about it, like what she does in that movie, um, to her Oscar nominated role in Little Women. Mm-hmm. Um, and now this and people are giving her Oscar buzz for this movie, which would be, I think, a first if, a, if a, an actor was able to get an Oscar nomination for a Marvel movie. Um, people thought it might happen for Downey Jr. after uh, Endgame, but it did not. So right. it would be remarkable if she pulled it off. And she, I mean, she wasn't expected to get the Little Women one either. Um, and um, some might say she took JLo's slot, although I would still blame Kathy Bates for uh, whatever the fuck that Clint Eastwood movie was. Um, but, I always yeah. find a way to blame Kathy Bates. And she knows what she did. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so this is. Florence Pugh just brings so much to this role um, and to the point where, like, I, I agree with those who who say that she kind of kind of almost makes you not even notice Scarlett Johansson um, mm. because she's just bringing such a dynamic energy. Um, she is so funny. She is so like her access, her emotional access is incredible. 
like the intensity, the emotional complexity she brings to different scenes in this movie, like what is just really disarming. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and she's funny and she does incredible fight choreography, which it did. I, I was like, Oh, that's right. She was in that, um, that viral video from last year where all the different female actors and, 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 and stunt women did that, uh, that video oh, where yeah. they were all, yeah. Um, I'm like, Oh, that's right. She did have a big, a big moment in that. And I was like, I wonder if that was coming off of already having like made this movie. And so she was like very much in the stunt women community through having played uh, a major Marvel character already. Um, but yeah, between her and David Harbour, I felt like those were the two saving graces of this movie for me, um, from a performance perspective, because they were both very, very funny, but also brought a lot of you know, just emotional inner life to their characters. Mm. Um, I was thinking more about how, uh, how much Scarlett Johansson fades into the backdrop in this movie, um, mm-hmm. until it gets to the kind of the final act. I think the, the showdown between her and the the villain of the movie, um, General Dreykov, uh, played AKA by Ray Winston. Yeah, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's it. Soul has the same thing. Um, and that had to be on purpose. It had to be. And it's so yeah. perfect. It's That's a whole, you know, a, a different conversation about this movie. But um, she, she falls into the backdrop. But, like, another part of that that's okay is that, like, she really has never had a life of her own, right? She has been... Um, either as part, she's been a widow or she then defected to shield and then became an Avenger. And they're like, you, it, it couldn't be like a first person monologue, you know, about insights of someone who has just been part of these groups and hasn't had much of a, much of a perspective on her own life. As she even like mentions in her conversation with her sister. Um, and that building these characters up around her, that added, you know, you you know, influenced her life is really a, a sensible way to go, I think, for uh, the standalone movie of Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you know, of course, the whole the whole existence of this movie, um, you know, sort of like begs a few questions of like, well, did we, you know, need this knowing that your friend Nat did die uh, in Endgame? Uh, which was a massive shock, of course, uh, because she it's it's a major character and it's played by an A-list star. And so and there have been so many fan calls for so many years to finally give Black Widow her own movie, to give her her due. And so now we get this posthumous story um, that, you know, gives her this sort of epilogue about this chapter uh, from her life and what was going on in it sort of in between different other Marvel movies. And ultimately, it does feel, you know, you know, to be more about setting up, as you were saying earlier, um, establishing Yelena as a, a pivotal new character uh, going forward, especially in the credit sequence. Um, so but, you know, so, it, it, you know, it does ultimately kind of fall into that, like, well, was this movie really, you know, necessary um, or is it more of a Marvel footnote? I feel like it was a bit more in the footnote category, um, but, you know, it's still on its own terms, uh, a, a very, you know, thrilling action film with some, with some great acting and, you know, and we do need it for, for Yelena for going forward um, to understand her. So now she'll kind of have all the benefits that, um, that Nat didn't have um, where we'll have, before we have Yelena on a, on a larger basis, we'll have her whole um, backstory and, and pathology um, so to understand her more fully. Hmm. Interesting about, about the footnote. Um, 
I mean, you think it is because we already sort of know the fate of the character. Um, I, I think that knowing the fate of the character, you know, adds uh, adds a, a layer of you know storytelling that they don't have to do. That you 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 know you kind of bring that with you into watching this movie. Um, but ultimately, allows you to see, in spite of that, these incredible pieces. We were just talking about this documentary earlier uh, that Apple Music or Apple TV in 1971 series uh, that like is uh, multi-episodes and explains kind of at length the cultural and um, social issues of 1971 and the music that accompanied it. And it's like kind of a year for us, for, for some people that kind of falls into a gap, right? You think about the sixties and you think about maybe the late seventies, but so much had happened. And, and this sort of feels like that where, you know, this is a, a blink in the Marvel universe, right? This is between, I don't know, between the middle and end of civil war. Um, mm-hmm. And just to know that all of this rich story happened while we were looking in another direction is it just makes the whole piece richer mm-hmm. rather than being like an and also happened also ran kind of footnote. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think it's good. You know, you're bringing certainly a fan's faith to MCU and, and you know, like, you know, in, in a sense of what's canon and, and what's, you know, what was happening, capital H happening at what certain times, you know, um, whereas a more cynical reading to look at things like Loki and Black Widow would it be like, OK, they're trying to make more money out of dead characters. <laughs> um, by, I will kill you. Know. you. <laughs> Yelena, get him. Um, <laughs> like, activate Widow. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, but but yeah, you know this 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 was. It didn't feel like so. You know, walking out of the movie, you know, Scott, as you know, is also a big Marvel head, and you know, and and, and he didn't think that it was necessarily top tier Marvel. Um, that it was a bit more minor. Um, and you know, I, I would generally agree. Um, but where would you, where would you sort of rank this movie in the MCU filmography? Some, a lot of people are saying it feels more like early MCU rather than like current. Hmm. Um, in, in terms of just quality and, and how, how much I like it, not like, is it a key driver of the story? Yeah. Sort of just like, you know, where, you know, what other films in the canon do you feel like this feels closest to, or, Hmm. you know, like, yeah, that kind of thing. I think this feels close to like a Doctor Strange, Thor, Ragnarok, Ragnarok type. And Ragnarok is high praise. It is high praise. I mean, I got you in. uh, I mean, this has been said, but I think this is a movie, you know, uh, that couldn't have been made. Maybe when the first time to have a a Black Widow movie could have been made. Right. So we would have, have had this story with this much complexity and yes, there are action sequences, but it's about um, people and their relationships and, and family dynamics and regret and manipulation. And then, you know, as we talked about just briefly, the whole last scene where she confronts the, the villain uh, general Drakoff is this, you know, it's this, the story is about human trafficking and it's about a, a, a man that has incredible power of these women who are voiceless it's this moment where she, Nat, um, uh, is unable to kill him because of this pheromonal lock. And, like, it is really 
I mean, I can't imagine something like this being made 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, I think that freedom, you know, unfortunately it needed to wait, but I think now they were able to tell the story that, that, that needed, that needed to be told. And, uh, the other example that comes up and has been and written about is the way that they discuss the forced sterilization of the black widows here versus, um, where they did in, that was civil war, correct? Mm, I think so. Uh, where in civil war, uh, uh, Nat is talking to, uh, Banner the Hulk and describes herself as a monster. Um, and here there's just Florence Pugh delivers this mm-hmm. really great um, lines about the, the forced hysterectomy in, in, in a very like humorous and graphic blunt. way, blunt. Um, and, I, and I think that, that, that just now's the time for that to happen. Um, yeah. All that to say, it feels more like a Ragnarok in that it does feel more thoughtful and more relatable. And uh, we're not at that place anymore where you need to spend three movies setting up this like douchebag that turns around. Um, you right. know the character and now you just understand all these, you know, systems of manipulation that are part of their history and story. And it and it's an analogy for all kinds of abusive relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, that's right. Our, our first two movies this week are both about human trafficking. Uh, yeah, right. So, so there's that. Um, yeah, and and you know the Harvey Weinstein of it all. Certainly, you know the the visual as we get on toward the end and we sort of see this Harvey Weinstein looking villain played by Ray Winstone, surrounded by all these sort of like beautiful young women as they all at once sort of turn on him. Um, you know, it's 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 incredibly powerful and very meaningful. And I can imagine, you know, would have would have hit even more strongly if it had come out when it was originally made. Um, but, you know, if it had come out still with Trump as the president in 2020, um, it would have been, um, yeah, even even more resonant and still is very resonant. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure where I'm going with this one. Um, <laughs> but uh, oh, oh, yeah, the representation. Yeah, I agree that, you know, the conversations around representation have come a very, very long way in a very, very short time. Um, And so I do think that it's almost sort of like how by the end of Transparent, um, you know, the show had achieved this sort of like tipping point for trans representation to the point that the show itself was now condemned for having Mm -hmm. a cis actor playing a trans character. Um, So I feel like similarly... Um, you know, MCU for the the rollout of the film so far have been, you know, kind of trailing a bit further behind in terms of representation so that they did not actually have, you know, give their first female character her own movie until the character had died. Um, so, but, you know, better late than never. And uh, and now going forward, it seems like they're being much more mindful about such about such issues. Um, so, but I, I agree that the film ultimately is coming out at a time that it can still have uh, an impact and fit into sort of the larger meta narrative of of how the MCU has addressed um, these sort of fan outcries uh, for um, representation and for focusing on more than just as you put, you know, a douchebag guy who turns around. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like we're in a, a place where where Marvel is getting really good at being able to balance um, 
humanity and storytelling with incredible action scenes. And that's that's where I think the comparison with Thor Ragnarok is. It feels really authentic and um, and you can feel the pain in these characters. And then you have these like in- incredible funny scenes and these just astounding action sequences. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to talk about for this one? Do you want to talk about the credit sequence? Uh, do I? <laughs> um no i don't okay now i'm thinking about it i don't i it just it's a moment that comes as as such a such a delight um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna ruin it all right well everyone you'll have to just go watch the movie and then message rebecca and she will happily talk to you about it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um what are you giving this one jason this is like a consume plus for me and podcast is over Thank you so much for listening. Jason is on Twitter. Uh, we've already done a full episode length. Uh, <laughs> so might as well just call it quits. Special standalone episode, a final episode, our farewell moment. I'm giving it a binge it. Um, it is in theaters and it's available on Disney Plus Premier Access. And it's rated PG-13. That's shocking. <laughs> I thought it would be rated R for sure. No, no. I, I mean, I think every single Marvel movie is not is under R. Wow, they um, have an in at the MPAA. <laughs> well, you know, they never it's just violence. You know, the MPA doesn't care about that. Yeah, fair. Um, movie number two, Zola. Zola, a Detroit waitress, is seduced into a weekend of stripping in Florida for some quick cash. But the trip becomes a sleepless 48 hour odyssey involving a nefarious friend, her pimp, and her idiot boyfriend. Jason, did you follow the Zola saga on Twitter when it came out? I do remember when it happened. Um, I don't think I actually really looked on Twitter to follow along. I think I've just read one of those articles that sort of summarized the whole thing and had all of the tweets embedded. Um, so, but I had, I had forgotten the vast majority of the details. And uh, so watching this movie, it did all, you know, come afresh. Um, I, I, I only, yeah, I remembered almost nothing. I just knew that I knew like the very, very basic premise, um, that involved a quote unquote ho trip, um, between, um, this character Zola and, um, a, a crazy lady who she meets, um, and who takes her off on this kind of wild journey. I did not remember the rest of it. Uh, what about you? I did read, I, I read the, the tweets, I think close to, uh, Right when they came out, when it was trending on Twitter. Um, and I thought I remembered the gist of it, and and I did. Um, but this isn't the same as the tweet thread. Go on. The tweet thread you're, re- you're reading through, um, you know, it's, it, was, it was posted by the, the woman who is Zola. Um, and it's very much her take on what has happened. And... It is told from the perspective of someone who is, um, this is a crazy story. She's also like, you know, very funny and very um, uh, like good at Twitter, right? Can like write in like the short, impactful, entertaining, <laughs> engaging way. Right. Um, and this movie is a retelling of what happened, um, but with more perspective on on the bigger story and uh, like the bigger scene of human trafficking. Right. So you get some of those, those quips in, in, in the dialogue from, uh, Zola, who's played by Taylor page. Um, but you, it isn't the, 
the sort of freewheeling, can you believe this crazy shit perspective? It's like, this is a very um, harrowing tale. Right, right. Yeah, Um, which I think is is something that the movie balances um, pretty well, uh, is Mm -hmm. this sort of of balancing act between it being uh, sort of a comedic crime caper and also uh, a depiction of how sex trafficking happens. And, uh, you know, I thought that as, you know, as serious as things get as the story goes on, I feel like it still had a bit of that kind of like freewheeling kind of Florida wink to it. Um, but, you know, and it really felt it feels like a, a real homecoming for A24. It really feels like a, a call back to Spring Breakers days for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, a, you know, it's a story that. It does make it bigger, but at the same time, not like a ton bigger uh, because it still ends very abruptly. Um, you know, it still ultimately is not there's not a, a ton of, uh, of character development or or, or, or characters shading in. Um, so a lot of it feels still like somewhat surfacey in a way that a Twitter thread story would be. Um, but, you know, it's it's done in such a stylish way. Um, with such a great sort of attitude and, and a, what it feels original, even though, you know, as you're watching it, you know, it'll make you think of maybe other movies you've seen, but it, it just feels original. Just there's something in the tone, there's something in the, in the narration, there's something in the visual motif of it that it just feels fresh. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, um, you know, like the umpteenth movie you've seen um, mm-hmm. about, you know, sort of like the seedy underbelly of, of you know, criminal enterprise. Yeah, I and I guess in in saying that it's bigger, I mean it isn't bigger. They they don't really speak to the to anything outside of this particular story, but maybe it's just seeing it, um, seeing, you know, the the tweet starts right with this like, want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out. Um, mm-hmm. But then when you see you know that bitch, the character um, Stephanie, Stephanie, just, yeah, uh, you know doing sex work it's a lot different than hearing like look at this crazy person i met in this crazy weekend we had mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right right uh which i they they do and that might be something that is in sort of you know a, a, a subjective thing for for viewers because the way that the movie approaches the sex work stephanie does was to me still very lighthearted. uh it was not the way that riley keogh plays it is very unbothered, uh, you know, the, the sort of the montage approach to showing these marathon sessions that she would have, um, you know, is just very like, you know, it's kind of glib. Um, it's very sort of um, apathetic uh, to what it's depicting. That was my uh, interpretation mm. of it, at least. Um, yeah, like, I, re- I no- found it very differently. I found it very upsetting and disgusting and kind of devastating. Hmm. Um. Did you were you getting that from her performance or where were you? Where do you think that feeling was coming from? I think just the like the the terror of it, the 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 lack of choice. You know, it's set up um, ahead of time by the sort of uh, um, uh, eruption by um, the guy who plays her pimp uh, or Domingo, uh, Coleman Domingo, who plays her pimp, uh, has this like frightening eruption in the car, you know, threatening them. So you 
and he's like waiting outside the door. So you know that there isn't like an opportunity to leave. And then you just kind of see all these gross guys, you know, come through. I think there's like, like the most lighthearted part is, you know, Zola's support. And like, even though she's upset and, and scared and now thrown in this, she's still trying to help um, Stephanie, but she's in the room and, and you're just kind of like watching this yeah, marathon of people come by. Um, I, I don't know that it was in the performance just so much as the, yeah, the, the fear, the knowing that it is like not by choice and that you can't leave. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it seemed more like, you know, it, it was Zola uh, who was really being held hostage and being forced into this trafficking um, since it seemed like this was a relationship that preexisted uh, between Stephanie and Coleman Domingo's character. Um, you know, like when she says to Zola, you know, he he takes care of me. Um, and then there's that narration of like, you know, that's stripper talk for he's my pimp. Uh, you know, so this is, uh, you know, so it felt more like I think there's a distinction between Zola and Stephanie in terms of we actually watched Zola be essentially abducted and forced along for this 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 sort of trafficking journey. Uh, although in, in at least in, in this telling of her story, you know, she at no point was forced into any sex work, um, although she does become sort of a de facto uh, sue pimp, we'll call it, um, which, you know, was was interesting to see, which is something that I wish that they could have done more with in a way to be like, what would it look like for um, for Zola to be the person who is controlling the situation and the ways that she can look out for Stephanie and get her more money and be more selective and all that stuff. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I guess they can't really do much more with the story than what the story already was. So they don't really right. go too, too far down the avenue of like, well, what can we rewrite? What can we expand? Um, aside from just like bringing this different perspective to it. Um, but to your point about the pre-existing relationship though, I mean, I think that's how like sex trafficking works. Like when, when they get paid all that money and, and Riley Keough's character doesn't get any, um, like she is, it's not a consensual relationship. Well, she get, she doesn't give all of her money to Coleman Domingo. Yeah, Stephanie doesn't get to keep any of the money. She he he pays to get her nails done. And he pays to get her hair done. Like that's a it's like a enslavement relationship between mm-hmm. okay. the sex worker and and the pimp. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I didn't uh, pick up on those details as much, and I didn't want to you know start just categorically saying that like all people who do sex work are in, you know, and who have pimps are in enslaved relationships. Um, but you know, it's, but it's possible that in this case, that was, you know, the, the story, but, uh, but yeah, no, that was not, I was not getting from the filmmaking, uh, the sort of the larger, um, heavier, uh, uh, undertone that you're speaking to that did not come through to me, uh, while watching it. How about uh, the scene where they have kind of like uh, they're being traded by the like gang member who um, mm-hmm. cousin Greg from Secession right. character Nick Braun <laughs> as the complete uh-huh. idiot boyfriend. As cousin uh, Greg, the boyfriend. Played played perfectly as mm-hmm. typecast mm-hmm. as a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they sort of break in and, you know, kind of. Uh, threatened to steal right. both Zola and, and Stephanie from, uh, from mm-hmm. X. Right. Did that well, feel... yeah, I mean, well, that's the climax of the movie. That's certainly, that's, that's the moment where things get the most real. 
so that is that is sort of the most violent scene in the movie. And uh, and yeah, that was sort of the moment in any crime caper movie where things come to a head and then you have an explosive confrontation that has uh, guns being fired. And then it goes on into the denouement and then roll credits, you know. So to me, that was just where structurally that happens in a story like this. Um, but uh, it certainly spoke to the larger context of, uh, you know, we have this this guy who had presented himself as just like a, a regular dude who is actually, you know, somebody who's like, no, I own this turf. You have you've stepped onto, you know, a, a part of, of 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 the land that is not yours to be doing business on. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, you know, it was, yeah, it was, it was a, a twist that, uh, certainly was not a surprise to all the characters, just to cousin Greg, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's a story about crime and, and, uh, so that's not, not saying it's not a story about crime it, that, that very much is part of it. What are you going to give this one? You know, uh, um, I've been torn on this one uh, because I feel like I, you know, I had a, I had a, a, it was, you know, it sounds like a strange thing to say now after hearing your thoughts on it, but it was a fun movie. Um, I thought it was fun to watch. Uh, the visual style was interesting. I thought that, I thought that Riley Keough's performance in this was sensational. I thought mm-hmm. it was such like a daring high wire performance. And I, I did think it was interesting that Taylor Page as Zola had to play basically the straight man uh to stephanie uh so you know which was unexpected for me going into it i thought it would be more about kind of zola as a character but ultimately the action all kind of pivots around stephanie and she's sort of the driver of the plot um but yeah all in all i would say this one is like a like a binge minus for me Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like you have not actually said almost any opinion at all about this movie in this review, aside from <laughs> saying that you found it very disturbing. I, I mean, I think it's uh, I think it's just different than the way I read the Twitter thread. And maybe it, maybe it's because I've changed or maybe it's because the, the way the story is being told is a little different. Um, but I mean, I thought it was. Yeah, I think Riley Keough and uh, uh, Taylor Page do an amazing job. I think uh, uh, it's it's terrifying it's edge of your seat it also has funny moments it's beautifully shot it's very dreamlike uh the score is by michael levy who i think had also done uh, a lot of the um uh safi brother movies and did uh jackie as well did the the very very yes jackie uh, and that's also, I think that like there's a play there. There's a lot of like repetition of notes um, that kind of I think speaks to this the cyclical cyclical nature uh, of this. Um, but I, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was wonderful. Yeah, it's very disturbing, but I think that it is um, beautifully shot and, and wonderfully acted. I I think I would also go on the binge minus binge minus rating. Yeah. And I, yeah, I, I forgot to say the one thing you were alluding to as well is that the, the very sort of is, is like a fractured fairy tale element that the filmmaking brings to it, um, mm. which I thought was just captivating. Um, the sort of the, the sort of the most iconic shots in the film of this of Zola and Stephanie in this mirrored room um, mm-hmm. with this very sort of like tinkling fairy tale music, um, you know, doing, you know, laying their edges. And it's, it's just, yeah, gorgeous, gorgeously done. Uh, Zola is in theaters and it is rated R. Movie number three is Luca. 
set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera. This coming-of-age story is about one young boy experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. Luca shared these adventures with his newfound best friend, but all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He's a sea monster from another world just below the water's surface. Ladies, he's a sea monster. (laughs) Also gay. (laughs) Yeah. So there's that. Tell me about Uh, the gay, the gay perspective on this. Hi, gay. Um, It is a gay romance. It's a gay coming of age romance. That's what this movie is. Uh, many have made jokes comparing it to Call Me By Your Name, um, right down to the fact that it's named after that movie's director. Uh, and uh, and yeah, it just feels very much like a, a, a you know a, an analogy uh, for being young and gay. Um, you know, making this this connection with this you know this sort of charismatic person of the same sex and and just feeling this immediate attraction to them and and that attraction sort of pulling you out of the 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 you that you thought you knew the life you thought you had making you want more making you want to go and and, and pursue this new life and then going into that new life with trepidation but just being afraid that you'll be found out and what will happen um you know it's 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 really uh and i know i think the filmmakers have have said that they um, they wanted to make it clear because there was such a massive, massive near uniform response to the movie of like, this is a gay coming of age story. Mm-hmm. Um, the filmmakers were like, it's, it's, that's not what we were going for. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, failed upward then, uh, because <laughs> that is what you have made. And then even, um, Jack Dylan Grazer, I think is his name, this is the, the voice of the sort of, let's call him the boyfriend, um, has <laughs> since come, has come out as bi since, uh, since this movie has been out. Uh, so, which is just a crazy thing to imagine happening when we were kids. It's like the voice actor of like a Disney movie was just like, oh yeah, I'm by. And he's like 16. Um, <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that, crazy. Would be, that would be tough. Yes. <laughs> I mean, great. So, great. Great. Tough and great. Um, just like being a sea monster, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, this is, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, when this movie was first coming out, uh, Scott and I were talking about how to watch it. And I was like. I think it's just on Disney Plus with no added fee, and he's like, "No, that's impossible." Like they, they you know, they they they're going to charge thirty dollars for Cruella. They're going to charge thirty dollars for the new Pixar movie, and I looked, and sure enough, yeah, it's just included. And mm. then and then watching the movie, I was like, I guess I can kind of see why they did that, because it doesn't as as beautiful and as lovely and as warm and poignant as it is. It doesn't quite have the oomph of like a $30 theatrical Pixar movie that you would like pay all that money to watch at home. Uh, that was that was my feeling, at least. What did you think? That was Soul was one, right? That was a $30 Pixar movie. That's right. And 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 this movie is 10 times the movie that are uh, we know not Soul. Uh, I was thinking Onward, Onward. Uh, this movie is 10 times the movie that Onward was. Oh, um, absolutely. Uh, but, you know, and, and Onward, I believe, was they were still charging for that one. Yes, they did. And so I slate to Venmo charge you for that one. <laughs> and then Soul, I, th- I can't remember if Soul was charged or not. I think, I think it maybe, was. Oh, yeah. maybe not. Oh, now I don't remember. <laughs> I feel like it was because I mean, that, of course, was a major release. Um, and wasn't that, that on, on a holiday? 
I think it didn't it come out around Christmas time or something. I don't know, like we've never seen this movie before. Uh. <laughs> yeah, we are in a mid-afternoon brain fog. Um, but uh, so regardless, this movie is uh, included with a Disney Plus subscription. They are not charging extra for it, unlike for Cruella or for uh, Black Widow. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I could. It, it does feel a bit more minor key. Um, it does not have the same sort of famous voice cast that you would get from your more top tier Pixar movies. You know, we do have Jacob Tremblay uh, as the main voice. And uh, and then I believe the uh, we have <laughs> Sacha Baron Cohen does a very brief but very funny voice performance as a, an uncle uh, under the sea. And uh, and then I think was Maya Rudolph the mom or was it someone else? But I don't know. Um, I think Jim Gaffigan's the dad. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not your, your, your classic uh, sort of like all star balls to the wall Pixar production. Um, it's just a really sweet, gentle little story um, that that yeah I, I definitely had my same sort of emotional journey uh, watching it as I would have watching any gay coming of age story. Like it hit all the same beats for me. It plucked all the same heartstrings. So I found it very poignant and very affecting um and just adorable and then of course you can't be mad at the the gorgeous uh sort of italian uh, uh milieu that the animation shows us um you know it gives you um you know villa realness and um it does make you think of you know calling by your name and and now that movie has the army stink on it so now i guess we just have luca uh but uh what did what did what, uh, what did you think rebecca as you're on mute Thank you. Let me just circle back here. I put myself on mute because I was clicking around the internet to find the answers. Um, okay, so Mulan was Premier Access, and that That's cost right. money. Soul came out on Christmas Day, and it was free. And maybe they're just uh, kind of doing a sprinkling on both to... Or maybe the animated ones. It seems like it's the animated ones that they're not charging for. Mm. Yeah, although Onward. Right. Well, Onward was also still... It actually came out in theaters, um, so oh, that right. was one of those weird ones in the, in the in-between where it was like in theaters right before shutdown. Right. Um, I remember seeing like a, a poster from it that would like stayed up for a really long time, <laughs> even after the movie was like not coming out. Um, <laughs> anyway, what did I think of it? So I think it's I mean, I think it's I wonder what it's like. To be straight and write this whole story and not understand that this is such an analogy for a gay coming out story. Like, what did you think? Did you think you came up with the story all by yourself and that it? <laughs> I mean, they, I think they also officially maintain that Frozen is not a queer allegory. So I think they are just maybe not the, the best arbiters of their own work. Because <laughs> <laughs> just like because Frozen is also gay as hell. Right. Right. What a strange. Um yeah, it it was beautiful, and it's it's hard not to relate to the um, the obvious parallels between uh, coming out and um, seeing what the world could look like, but also being afraid of in enjoying that world at the risk of being discovered. Um, I, I I don't know. I feel like this is one that I don't have much to say about. I enjoyed it. It was beautiful, um, but it but it wasn't. It wasn't like particularly impactful to me. Even the cat. <laughs> Even the cat. <gasps> Did you like the cat? 
I did like the cat, yes. <laughs> I did like the cat, thank you. Yes. The way it would just menacingly raise its head into shots. Mm-hmm. I love a good, you know, cat that's that's willing to out a bunch of kids. <laughs> <laughs> like I love a McCarthy-era cat. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, speaking of animals and reaction shots, um, I'm, I just have to circle back to all the reaction shots of the alligator on Loki. Oh, my uh, God. Alligator Loki? Amazing. <laughs> I mean, every single reaction shot that alligator just gets me. <laughs> love it. Um, love that alligator Loki. What a what a what a find. A star is born. Really? That alligator is going to be chastaining in no time. But uh, but, but circling back to Luca, uh, yeah, it's a lovely little film. And uh, I am happy to have watched it. I think I'm going to go binge minus on this one as well. Yeah, I, I, that that seems about right. I mean, for completely different reasons than Zola. Uh, <laughs> 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 Although I did yeah. feel, you know, I think a similar tension. Um I think the 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 fear of being found out is like very palpable in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the the cartoonish <laughs> can you call it cartoonish when it's an animated film? But even for an animated <laughs> film, I thought that the villain character was a little cartoonish. They could have uh, pulled back uh-huh. on that a little bit. Um, it didn't seem like it was as uh, that they rethought the villain and his arc in the way that they kind of like were more thoughtful about the other characters. Yeah. Seemed out of place, but otherwise, yeah, it was delightful. Binge Minus. All right. Moving on, um, or like we had said, uh, like st- as we stated, it's streaming on Disney Plus and it's rated PG. Wow, the afternoon foggies <laughs> are coming in, rolling in. My God, I'm like, do we just need to take a nap right now in the middle of the episode? Maybe. Um, two more movies, both documentaries. <laughs> Both music documentaries. So maybe this will be more straightforward. Summer of Soul. Over the course of six weeks during the summer of 1969, thousands of people attend the Harlem Cultural Festival to celebrate black history, culture, music, and fashion. So the story of this is that this huge event happened, 40, 50,000 people coming on the weekends to see this concert series. And it was completely overshadowed by Woodstock. The whole thing was documented. The footage sat in somebody's basement for 50 years until, uh, like, an outside counsel for one of the, um, I think, the movie house. <laughs> 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 Ooh, save me, Bob. <laughs> movie house <laughs> or music house uh, <laughs> companies <laughs> found out, and Questlove brought it to the screen. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, Safe me, Jason. (laughs) um, So, yeah, so what we have here is essentially a concert film. Um, And uh, it is, you know, we have a sort of a preamble uh, to uh, contextualize what this concert series was, who the man was, who was the promoter, how he put it together. Um, And there were certainly echoes of the story of how he put it together that it felt like, if the fire festival had succeeded mm-hmm, um, yeah. <laughs> because he was, it was a lot of, um, yeah, just wheeling and dealing and, and promising things that weren't actually in done yet. Um, but things actually worked out for that guy. Um, and all the talent did sign on unlike for the fire festival. Um, so, uh, so we have that context. We have just the context of what 
black America had been through at that point by the summer of 1969. Uh, of course, the 60s were, um, you know, when the civil rights movement truly uh, uh, moved to astronomical levels. And uh, but it also suffered unimaginable losses. And so we have at this point, you know, circling back to sort of what we were saying about the 1971 docuseries about like sort of like the death of the 60s. Mm. You know, what we have here is sort of like one last huge raging party for black America before the end of this decade. That was so, so incredibly um, eventful uh, to say the the absolute least uh, for the community. And uh, so uh, so we have that context and then we kind of get into a bit of a pretty straightforward like, OK, here's a band. They do a song. We have con- we have some commentary on who the band was and where they were in their careers um, Too too rarely. Do we actually hear from the musicians themselves? Sadly, many have passed. Um, and so we have a lot of sort of like, unfortunately, a lot of white talking heads. Um, who were like business partners. Um, but, you know, we do get to hear from, um, you know, we we have the Fifth Dimension, two members of Fifth Dimension pop in, and they do that great thing that I think we first saw in the Norman mm. Lear documentary where they, mm-hmm. sh- you know, we, we look at their faces as they watch the footage. And I was wishing they would do that for everyone. Um, they didn't do that for Gladys Knight when she pops up. Um, and I was especially saddened that apparently they did not actually get Mavis Staples on camera. They only had her audio of her of her talking because just knowing what that moment meant to her of her and Mahalia Jackson singing together, like I would have given anything to watch Mavis watch that scene. Yeah. Um, and on the topic of that scene, wow, that is the centerpiece of this movie for me. Um, it's a it's a moment where. What essentially it feels like a memorial for Martin Luther King um, in which they perform um, his favorite gospel song. I believe he had asked for for Sister Mahalia to perform it at his at his funeral. And uh, and they they uh, they call her up to sing it. And she is not feeling great. And she asks Mavis to to step in, and help her out, which meant more than words can say to Mavis Staples, because as a, a young gospel singer, Mahalia was what, you know, her everything. And um, and we have the footage in this movie is in such incredible shape. It's I, I gorgeously shot. Could not believe how what what just pristine condition this film is in. Like it is unbelievable. So thank goodness that apparently it was a temperature controlled basement that the film sat in yeah. for all these years, um, because it showed like no aging, no deterioration. It looked like a million bucks. It's incredible. Um, so. So to see all these incredible moments, such as um, Mahalia Jackson uh, toward the end of her career and Mavis Staples more toward the beginning of hers, um, just having this, just if there were rafters, they would have been blown off. Um, this just absolute, oh, just incredible emotional performance of this gospel song for Dr. King. Um, and then also, holy fucking shit, Nina Simone. Huh. Whew. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like the it was I mean, I, I know from, you know, watching from knowing about her career and, and from watching the documentary about her that she was so much more radical um, than a lot of white music fans who think she's just like a fun jazz singer uh, are aware of. And certainly any of them who watch this will have any lingering uh, ignorance mm-hmm. put to rest Absolutely. Um, because it is a, a, a barn burner uh, of, a, of a performance and uh, her commentary and the poem that she reads, like, holy fucking shit. Yeah. 
it's really something. Um, so, but yes, yeah, so we just kind of go through. We have Stevie Wonder. Stevie um, Wonder have, playing the drums. <laughs> yes. Holy yes. shit. Uh, the Stevie Wonder footage is wonderful. Um, yeah. He's pretty young at that point. Yeah. Um, but, wow. I, I mean, I, I feel like we do need to see... Uh, I think I had read somewhere, like, someone was asking, like, can we just put all the performance clips on YouTube? Because yeah. this is a great movie to introduce you to the festival. Um, but we need to see all the rest of that footage. Yes. Yeah, I know. I was like, did everyone only do one song? <laughs> like, where's where's the rest? Yeah, uh, some of them some of them seemed like they, they cut it in a way, or maybe they only, they only did one song. But then some of them, I think they showed, like, Sly and the Family Stone. They showed them mm-hmm. a couple times doing a few songs. Yeah. Yeah. And no, it is interesting for Stevie Wonder, because I think as as one of the Talking Heads points out, it was a transitional moment in his career where he was still kind of in the, you know, the Motown era of his of his life. Um, But prior to when he went full, just like 70s hippie visionary um, with songs in the key of life and inner visions and and, you know, the albums that he started to put out uh, later in the 70s. So at this point, you see him in this and you're seeing him still closer to that early incarnation that he had when he started off as a as a as a kid singer. Mm-hmm. And um, but still just seeing his performance is just electrifying. So, but, you know, the movie is essentially, you know, just that, um, you know, it's a series of performances and um, commentary about the artists and where they were in their careers. Um, we get occasional sort of um, footnotes about uh you know other elements such as the panthers um being the security of the event uh we have a kind of an interesting story about the mayor of new york at the time mm-hmm. um which is a really I, I was not familiar i think i knew the name but um the mayor of new york at the time was a republican uh but was you know was viewed by the the black community of the city as very much an ally we see footage of him on the news like talking about um you know you can feel like that either he's being pressed to condemn, um, you know, black uprising in the streets, and he just doesn't do it. Um, you know, he is saying like, you know, black people in the city want to feel safe, and uh, so it's just it's 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 remarkable um, to see footage of a of a white man Republican from the '60s who is standing so completely in solidarity with the black community of the city that he would then be welcome, given a very enthusiastic welcome at this festival in Harlem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, uh, but yeah, um, it is, and we have a lot of interviews, but just guests, there's a ton of interviews. Yeah. That's like amazing. Half, I love that part. Yeah. Like half the talking heads in the movie are people who were just at the festival. And so we get to hear their stories about like how, what the lies that were they had to tell their mother to get to sneak out or, <laughs> or, you know, the, the things they thought as kids looking over the stage and seeing these musicians and what it meant to them and their lives. And, and yeah, it's just this really vivid snapshot of this place and time. There's a really great story about one guy who said that he was like uh, he and his friends were suit and tie guys. And then Sly and the Family Stone come out, came out and they were like and they were no longer suit and tie guys <laughs> when they saw how they were dressed. Um, it's such a great. Uh, such a great vehicle. Um, it, it does so much. This movie does so much. It it. it you know, it validates um, some folks experience that this actually existed and you get to see the the rich and beautiful um, art art and fashion and culture. And and that alone is wonderful. It's, it's wonderfully edited. And the footage, like Jason mentioned, looks amazing. And then it also contextualizes so many things. Like, what is Harlem? What do people think Harlem is? It's, it's much more than that. But also there were problems. 
there's a really great point where one of the weekends is also the weekend that there's um, the moon landing. And yes. what a different perspective uh, uh, of the moon landing, the, a lot of the folks at the festival had had. Um, it, it, it also does a good job. So it was like, you know, weekend to weekend, there was maybe like a um, uh, Afro-Latino weekend and like a gospel weekend and the overlap of generations there um, and the, and the different sort of acts appreciated by um, the uh, different segments of folks that were in attendance. Um, it's yeah, it's a really, really rich and beautiful snapshot of, of a time and place. And I think yeah. it's 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 critical to understand. Yeah, the uh, no, I, I'm glad you brought up the the moon landing thing because that is so interesting, and it's something that I was not aware of um, in terms of this sort of um, this sort of uh, black uh, skepticism slash resistance toward that narrative and its in its importance, so to speak. That I first learned about in of all places, Damien Chazelle's movie First Man, where Ryan Gosling oh. played Neil Armstrong. Um, because there is a whole little montage in the movie set to a song I never heard by a black artist. Uh, the song is called Whitey's on the Moon. And it was a mm, protest mm-hmm. song from this from that time. Uh, that essentially the message of the song is like everything is on fire down here, and there is, you know, rampant injustice, injustice and violence and poverty. So, but, but hey, Whitey's on the moon. Um, and I, you know, and I had never heard that perspective on the moon landing before. And it definitely kind of struck me as like, oh, wow. Because at first it feels like, okay, wow. I never heard a negative take on the moon landing before. Um, but then, you know, the more that it sings in, the more it's like, oh, God, this makes perfect sense. So I loved seeing that, that moment in time corroborated in this movie. Um, seeing this entire community and their sort of exact same response of like, eh, so <laughs> like, what, that, what does that what difference does it make to us in our lives? Um, you know, like what about attention on on our issues before we go, um, you know, sending people to the moon? Um, so yeah, I thought it was really really fascinating um, that that happened during one of its weekends and that it's chronicled in this in this film. It's remarkable. I'm giving this one a uh, binge it. Same. Wonderful. Um, and I, I only hope for more. I hope there's a, a, I don't know, I feel like it, having a release of all the tracks as an album would be a licensing nightmare, but maybe they'll <laughs> exactly. have share more of the clips. Uh, <laughs> streaming on Hulu and it's rated PG-13. Our last movie of the week, another music documentary, Mary J. Blige's My Life. Mary J. Blige set the music world on fire with her trailblazing 1994 LP, My Life, a collection of powerful confessionals about her battles with abuse, depression, and addiction. In this documentary, Blige reveals the demons and blessings that inspired the record and propelled her from the soul-crushing world of New York's housing projects to international stardom. Um, this couldn't be more different from Summer of Soul. <laughs> Go on. Summer of Soul is uh, is a great vehicle for understanding and learning um, about a lot of things. As Jason just admitted, you know, learning or not admitted, but confessed, <laughs> <laughs> learning about the you know uh, black 
black working class perspective on the moon landing. Mary J. Blige's My Life is for the millions of fans of that album. And I think if that if you're not in that camp, um, this might be a little disappointing. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. isn't a deep dive. She sets very clear parameters around what she's comfortable talking about and what she's not. Um, but this movie still needs to exist because so many people have been touched by this album and and I think could really appreciate um, her talking about her struggles leading up to it and and you know seeing her reconnect with old producers and partners and and them you know kind of reliving the the trauma they were having when they were making this album. I think it's very validating for fans. But I think, yeah, if that's not your experience with this album, then I think this might be not for you. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll tell you what this is. This is label-created content uh, meant to cash in on the 25th anniversary reissue of My Life. Because we see scenes in the film they where we literally show Mary sitting there with, like, new still-in-their-plastic copies of the 25th anniversary vinyl reissue of my life um you know we see fan listening parties thrown by the label to celebrate the 25th anniversary of my life and this is the thing that labels do more and more now they will just they will make a film they will just commission a piece of content around a certain artist and then they just shop it they just shop it around they're like who wants this glorified epk who wants this this glorified promotional effort to um you know make us draw attention to this new album that we have or whatever um and it's it's you know with so many streamers now it's a very lucrative time to be in the business of just making things like this and then just like taking them around until someone wants to buy it in this case uh amazon prime bought it and uh so that is where it lives so you know with that said um you know it is not without its powerful moments without its merits certainly for fans of of mjb um, of which there are two on this podcast, one in particular who was pushing to include this, and that would be Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. It was made very clear to me that we were not going to not do this movie. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so it made the cut over uh, several others. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and here we are. But, uh, but no, tell me, so, you know, what did, did the My Life album you know, what does it mean to you? Were you, were you a fan of this album when it came out? Uh, I was, I was a fan of this album. Um, and I think, I mean, it was a little tiny, tiny bit. I feel like when you kind of get to albums at this time, um, you know, what year it is exactly and what time of year makes a world of difference, right? Because at some point you stop listening to, you like start listening to music. Um, and I feel like I came to it like a little bit late, but, um, but yeah, I think it was, um, it was just, on a lot and i think she just had a way of of cutting through um it didn't feel even though it was incredibly produced and very produced it still felt um authentic in a way that like a lot of pop pop r&b didn't um and so uh, yeah i wouldn't i am nowhere near that like the you know the fans that they kind of talked to on this um on this journey in this film but um but it did resonate and it was you, know, you get a small snapshot of where she was before. I think the, the thing is that the story is really rich, but 
she has, again, like clearly fenced off what she wants to talk about and what she doesn't. And because she does that, it's basically things were terrible. And then I and then I made a, a quote unquote demo in the mall, mm-hmm. gave it to my dad. And then I was signed the next day and swept from one part of New York to the other part of New York. Um, and and that's kind of it. And then, you know, her uh, relationship with uh, Casey of Jodeci, um, mm-hmm. again, I think there's just a lot of repetition of things were bad without going into details about them. And I think that that part is just, I think, kind of frustrating in the film, even for a fan. It's like a lot of the same over and over again without any new new details. Right. Yeah. I, uh, when what's the 411, her debut album came out, I bought it when it came out on maybe already CD, possibly cassette. That was, I think, 91 that that came out, uh, 92 of the latest. So I had been a fan of hers from from that already. But then when My Life came out, I think I had already, already discovered Tori Amos at that point. So I had veered <laughs> somewhat away. That's what um, I'm saying. It's just like, it's what time of year? Um... Yeah. <laughs> and this album also did not have a barn burner single like, you know, Real Love. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like it was, and of course that's the whole point of this documentary is that it was coming from a place of extreme pain. Um, and I think the only song from this album that I, that I heard at all at the time was I'm going down. Mm-hmm. Um, which of course is fucking epic. <laughs> um, one of the great songs of all time. So, but I think, you know, listening to, I was, lis- I was listening to the album just this morning while I was making breakfast and I, yeah, I can appreciate it a lot more now. I can see how my like 12 year old self when it came out would have not vibed as much on it because it's it's it, as an album, it's more mid tempo to down tempo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not much of a, a you know party album like what's the 411 was. Um, you know, it is it is a more confessional R and B album, and I was you know not in a place to receive that when it came out. But now I can certainly appreciate it a lot more. And you know, watching the documentary does give me more perspective on what it meant to her because I mean when I hear when I listen to the album I don't necessarily hear all those things because as you say it is so very produced um Mm -hmm. so it's it's not it's very far from like a stripped down what we would think of as like a stripped down confessional album like it is still a lot of just like enjoyable mid-tempo R&B and her delivery is always full throttle emotion and pain no matter what the material is um, you know, so it doesn't necessarily stand out more than the rest of her catalog in that sense. But and I, but I find myself thinking about her watching this movie that, you know, even though now she has been so rich for so long and she looks she she certainly looks rich um, every time we see her, <laughs> you know, she does still seem to be truly a very authentic artist because you see she can't do the bullshit. Right. Um, you know, which is fascinating to watch. Like, you, we, we see her do these meet and greets in the movie. And I felt so bad for every one of those meet and greet people. Um, yeah, because, yeah. Because, she, because she just looks so uncomfortable. And, you know, and they walk in and they've paid God knows how much money to get a meet and greet with her. And then they just get this kind of like awkward, shy Mary J. Blige who just like grabs them into a photo. And then they start to say like, oh, your music means a lot. And she's just like, thank you. And then they, and then they get, you know, yanked out on a crane and then someone mm-hmm. else gets shoved in um you know we see her like when that woman kind of gets really confessional yeah. with her in the hallway and you know you see she's getting emotional but she's also still just very awkward and very distant and and you know but to me that's just speaks to her authenticity as an artist like she's not a great celebrity mary j blige she's right, a great right. artist 
Yeah, I was. I just was um, thinking about, and I, I I looked up quickly. You know, when that album came out, that <laughs> at the risk of sounding old uh, <laughs> and thinking about your Tori Amos phase, like the albums that came out, like there were so many people saying something. <laughs> You know, it was MTV Unplugged came out that year. Um, uh, Holes Live Through This, mm -hmm. uh, The Cranberries, um, Illmatic. That's the year Kurt Cobain died. Yeah. I mean, how did we even find the space to listen to all of these things people had to say? Because, I mean, I'm just listing the ones that were, I think, particularly uh, had a point of view, right? Mm -hmm. um, crazy. Yeah. Crazy. But, you know, but it seems like I think one one through line um, from this. Where, oh, uh, sorry. One one through line from this to Summer of Soul, I think does have to do with just sort of like this very specific um, sort of context of working class black New York that produced Summer of Soul in the concert series and, and it produced Mary J. Blige. And uh, and that and those are the voices that this movie very correctly elevates as we're hearing all these different fans talk about what it meant to them just to hear her voice and to hear her voice in the musical styles in which it was produced. Um, and that especially for a generation of black women, um, mm -hmm. you know, they, they felt seen and empowered by the mere existence of Mary J. Blige, um, because, you know, it can't be overstated how much Mary was like a new, a new thing, right, um, you know, right. to, to combine these just classically powerful soul vocals with more of like a hip hop beat. It wasn't done. She was the first. Um, and, you know, and so, and it just, it just tapped into something and, you know, and it gave a whole generation a sense of, uh, of, of, of being seen and of having somebody to identify with. And, you know, and that's remarkable. And that's something that Mary has had to kind of carry with her. And you can see that definitely has taken a toll, um, mm -hmm. feeling feeling the weight of that responsibility to that audience. Um, you know, I'm sure it's part of why she feels like so guarded mm -hmm. and wants to be so careful with how she you know, presents herself. But but in my in my fandom journey, I came back to her at the end of the 90s when she put out the, the Mary album mm -hmm. um, that had deep inside. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a great fucking album. Um, but, uh, but yeah, this, so I, I would say this, this documentary made me maybe somewhat more of a fan than I already was. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a nice retrospective on the album, but as a film, it's, it's, I mean, this, this is a fans only, this is, there's no reason to watch this unless you're a big fan of MJB. Exactly. And, and there, I think there are enough to, to justify this and to, uh, that will really, really, um, get something great out of this. But if you're looking for like a, oh, I didn't know there was a festival in 1968. Let's see what that's about. Oh, God. Like, you know, it's not that. No, not not revelatory. No. Um, what are you going to give this? Um, I guess it's a, I mean, it's I've sort of set up the definition of who should watch this. So, you know, it's either it's a binge <laughs> or it's right. a setback depending on, on your right. listening history. Right. No, I'll go down the middle and give it a consume. Wonderful. Um, and that, that, <laughs> That one's streaming on Prime Video, and it's rated R. For language. Wow. Lots, lots of fucks in this one. Yeah, I guess so. Huh. Crazy. Um, that's it. We did it in only eight hours and 16 minutes. 
<laughs> a few nap breaks here and there, but we got it done. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Binge. Be sure to subscribe. Um, Jason's on Twitter at... Excess Baggage. I'm at Fight Balance. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.